This is a data privacy detective. And today we're going to learn about external data privacy and the subject of how do well-known people who want to be famous to some extent, but how do they protect their own data privacy? Something that applies to maybe everybody except the ultimate privacy hermit. And today we have a wonderful guest with us. Uh, Harry Muggins is the CEO of Atlanta-based company Privacy B. Harry, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on, Joe. And Privacy B, I have learned, is a proactive privacy company that helps everyday customers and businesses stay ahead of data and privacy needs and challenges. So, Harry, let's get right into this. The phrase external data privacy. What, what does that mean? So external data privacy is looking at the exploitation of a person's privacy that happens outside of their walls, person or company. So people are used to walling themselves off from their settings and their apps, their firewalls at the office, all the traditional physical controls of everything you control inside your office, your building, your device, everything outside on the internet, the service web, the data brokers, people search sites. When you Google your name and your family and home address comes up, all that external exposure is external data privacy. And and the act of trying to clean it up goes along with that EDP concept. So to oversimplify, you have a home system and you send messages back and forth to your wife or your kids or partner, whatever it is, or within a firm, you might have a strong firewall and that's kind of internal and external is most of what we do, I would guess. Is that right? So yes, um, everything that we do is, is the traditional internal data privacy. External data privacy is an emerging way of looking at what other companies are doing to exploit your privacy from the outside. And it may be exposing a, a website in Google that shares information that really should be sensitive and personal, trying to get affiliate revenue from you know background checks, or if they're just buying and selling it behind the scenes to telemarketing companies, they're going to then use that list of people to harass you, you know, on your cell phone. And, it, that, and we have the relatively unregulated and enormous industry of data brokers. It's beginning to get regulated, but that's part of this external piece you're talking about. 100%. Yeah, they're, they're, a big, they're kind of a center focus of external data privacy. Now, when we think about that, whether we're a legislator or an individual or a business, how, how, how do you have to think about that differently from what we usually think about in regard to safeguarding personal uh, data? So we've been trained for a long time to safeguard the information we have, you know, to not put your, your cell phone number out there if you don't want people calling you, your family information. Social media has changed that a little bit. Now we're more comfortable exposing ourselves and almost allowing a, a bad guy or a bad actor to create a profile on us that can be weaponized through spear phishing, social engineering, some kind of trick. And that that trick is... a. a uh, the bane of cybersecurity these days, because you can have the best firewall, the best software protecting your devices in your company. But if a bad guy calls in, like what just happened in Vegas recently with MGM, a bad guy calls in pretending to be somebody else armed with enough highly personal information where they can really you know, pull down the veil pretending to be that person effectively, tricking the recipient or the target. And um, and then having them expose things like two factor codes or um, you know any kind of way to circumvent all that investment in cybersecurity. 
And the human aspect is the biggest, most vulnerable part these days. Well, I've heard many experts say that humans, us, we're 80% of the problem. It's not the the hardware or the software. I, I suppose no one can prove that, but I've heard that from many experts. Well, what is what is... What is Privacy B's approach to this, and and what can it what does it do for individuals and businesses? Sure. So we are the complement to cybersecurity. So all these you know CISOs, CIOs, CTOs, you know privacy focused individuals, they spend a lot of time, energy, and money building a really strong wall around their castle. Right. You're putting in the best software, the best hardware, the best defenses you can to armor. Your, your entity or yourself. Right. We are not competing in that world at all. We're complementary to it because there's so many really high quality vendors operating in the traditional privacy or cybersecurity space. We're unique in the sense that Privacy B is the only company that will look outside of the walls, scan through over 440 people search sites, data brokers. And we've actually by hand manually mapped over 145,000 companies and how their deletion process works. We find all the exposures online. We find all the places that a person's sensitive information is out there and is not private and is being exploited and is being weaponized. We find it all, scan for it all, and then we clean it up. We have a multi-tier process of automation and humans and a, an entire, you know, a really sophisticated tech stack to be effective in removing these exposures. So if we were in medieval times, you're out looking for the enemy approaching where the people inside the castle are making sure the castle's strong. Exactly. It's like if you're, um, you know, the castle's being attacked by archers, right? Um, cybersecurity is strengthening your walls against the arrows. We're picking the castle up and putting it on a beach where there's less arrows hitting it, right? Mm-hmm. And, or, uh, you know, an example of like a, a bank robbery, right? You can have the best security in the bank and the strongest walls. We're going out to the parking lot and we're arresting the guy who's casing the joint in a ski mask before he actually tries to break in. So it's one step higher in the funnel to further mitigate any kind of risk and and hopefully uh, increase security of an organization or a person. Without revealing any proprietary information, uh, you know, what, what, what are the tech keys to being able to do that? <laughs> it's a cat and mouse game, unfortunately. Um, there are so many different um, defenses that these sites and companies put up to prevent privacy be like organizations from scanning and removing the information because that's their business, right? They're focused on selling the data for a profit or exposing it through ads or making revenue online, however they do. Well, when you have a a company like us coming in there saying, hey, our client John Doe is trying to clean up their digital footprint and decrease their attack surface, we need you to remove their information. That's at odds with their revenue and their business. So, you know, I say cat and mouse game because they're always putting up new defenses to blocking block us from scanning. We're always having to work around those or use proxies or get creative for being able to identify the exposures in the first place. And then once we find them, the removal process um, is is arduous. You know, there are some states like California in the U.S. where you have CCPA, CPRA. You know, in Europe you have GDPR and some really good privacy laws overseas. If there is a privacy law covering the individual we're working with, we will file the proper forms to legally compel the company to delete the information. Like we have a guy on our team whose full-time job is monitoring global privacy legislation. And then we use that. We, we um, use that as a, a way of forcing the privacy of our customers, which is, is very unique in the sense. And then obviously- yeah, Cyber criminals, I mean, legitimate data brokers, uh, 
you know, it, it take Clearview, which scrapes uh, photos of this and uh, sells it to police departments to arrest the right people, they would tell you. On the other hand, Australia fined them a huge sum for doing that without the permission of the people whose photographs are being used. So you're in that space, whether it's a cyber criminal or a, a data broker or a scraper of data. Uh, if a customer wants to, then you, you go out and tell them, stop doing that. A hundred percent. And at some point in our history, the world seems to have switched from an opt-in society to an opt-out society. It really is a trend, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, we're, we're trying to put that genie back in the bottle. And obviously, our company is fighting for it hard. That's our core business. We also have three lobbyists on retainer trying to pass legislation to make companies and people more private. We're actually fighting the mission beyond just running a business, which yeah, is it's very important to us. Finally, we have 12 states now that have adopted comprehensive codes. A few years ago, there were none. California got into the act and so on. Well, tell us a little bit about how uh, cyber criminals are exploiting weaknesses in data systems these days that could be prevented or minimized by external data privacy thinking. For sure. And um, Joe, Joe, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Um, The bad guys out there, the hackers, they're not like you see in Hollywood. (laughs) They're usually a you know, a kid in their parents' basement who's trying to make a few bucks. Now, you do have nation states and more sophisticated attacks, but the vast majority of cybercrime is done by people who are trying to, um, who, are, who are being lazy. They're trying to find side entrances. They're trying to find shortcuts to get to the, the, the jewels without you know, going through the front door. Because candidly, the front door is, is pretty hard these days. Cybersecurity is really good. You know, GRC and policies are very good. So they're looking, you know, being lazy, they're looking for the easy way in. And that's usually through tricking employees or consumers to give up information that allows them to walk in the door with an access card. And how do they trick them? Well, it's primarily spear phishing and social engineering. Now, when you're trying to send a spear phishing email to a person to convince them, hey, I'm the real deal. Give me that text message two-factor code that was just sent to you by your bank or by your, you know, corporate, you know, uh, firewall. Well. that message doesn't work if it's something generic, like, hey, you know, please send me the code or the old fashioned spear phishing or phishing of, hey, your Amazon delivery is running late. Those don't work anymore. Now what works, and you look at the recent data breaches that happened in corporate America and globally, uh, it's primarily through PII infused spear phishing. So yeah. it's when the attack is so personal, they don't realize it's it's not about them. It's talking about their kids. It's talking about their streets around where they live. It's sent to their cell phone talking about their wife. That type of attack that do they just know too much that it can't possibly be fabricated. It has to be real. And those are the, they're working because people, they fall for them. And if you, if you get tricked, you know, you'll let the hacker right in. Exactly. Well, let me ask this uh, last question as we head to home in this segment. Take, Somebody who wants to be somewhat famous, but still wants privacy. It could be uh, a C-suite executive. It could be a baseball player. It could be just a, a politician. It could be a lot of different people, a business owner. How does a well-known person uh, protect oneself uh, from privacy invasion while still wanting to be known? Does privacy B come in there? What, what can do? <laughs> uh, yes. So they, they, they hire privacy B. Right. Um, We work with, you know, Hollywood celebrities, sports players, um, uh, the vast majority of um, major politicians across the U.S. and global. We have 
heads of state. We have, um, you know, we, we have a lot of high profile individuals and, and businesses, executives on our platform because being in the public eye, being an influencer, being a celebrity, being a, a leader of business, that doesn't mean, you know, that you want your personal cell phone out there. It doesn't mean you want your home address out there. So, you know, having your name, having your company email, even that's fine. Right. If you put information on LinkedIn or you put information on a business website, that's going to that's going to stay that way. Like that's going to be out there. We're not touching it. What we are touching is the data that's being bought and sold in the trade that's being exposed when somebody Googles and finds information that's more sensitive. And when that information's identified, obviously, we scrub it. So um, celebrities and influencers are a great idea. You might have your name and your reputation, but it doesn't mean that you have to have your home address and information that is kind of violating your personal uh, privacy outside of your your image publicly. And of course, a, a business or an organization, a university, a political party can do a lot for the people that it supports to take care of that on, a, on an efficient basis. A hundred percent. And it's, it's not a, a, a checkbox kind of thing either. Unfortunately, when you remove your information from a lot of these places that expose it, it comes back. It's a reemergence. And on average, we see a, a reemergence about every 72 days. So it's a constant battle. You go out there, you clean up Google, you clean up being or wherever your information's out and being visible to, you know, bad guys or to um, abusive ex-spouses or whoever you're trying to, to stay away from, even sales harassment and telemarketers. And um, you clean up, you feel really good about it, you go about your life, and then it starts up again in a cycle. And that's just the way the industry works. So having a service that's really, you know, annual recurring monitoring, as soon as a reemergence happens, attacking it again, that's really important. Now, one thing I will say is it's not all commercial, right? Uh, we have a, a free plan where anybody can log in and we'll do all the scanning for them. We'll do all the monitoring for them. We will give them a step-by-step -step guide for free on how they can DIY, do their own cleanup. We'll let them know when a reemergence happens. They just have to do the work. Our commercial side comes in when they want us to do the work for them. But you know, if somebody is on a budget but still wants privacy, you know, it's 100% free forever at Privacy B. And learn to do it. We brush our teeth, some of us twice a day. Uh, you know, we try to teach our kids at least that, right? But maybe we need to brush our privacy. Uh, I, I love that metaphor. Two months, you're telling. It's and it's only getting worse too. Unfortunately, with AI starting to get out there more. Uh, a lot of the exposures and exploitation we see, it's, it's not just going to go away. It's, it's going to get worse. And unfortunately, I don't see a lot of headwinds for a national privacy law in the U.S. And there are some other countries that are struggling with it. So uh, until the government steps up, it's really up to the individual and the, and the individual business to take control of their own privacy and especially their external data privacy. Well, Harry, thank you for taking us on a tour to understand the meaning and the impact of external data privacy and how to think about it. As always, dear listeners, I will close by reminding us all, protecting your personal privacy begins with you.